Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and on apps. Coming up on episode 10 of the World Soccer Talk uh, podcast, we discuss the news reports about El Clasico possibly coming to the United States, our pluses and minuses about the 2017 MLS TV schedule, thoughts on the coverage of the Africa Cup of Nations, news about Liga MX scoring their best ever viewing number for a game on a Saturday night, and much, much more. Uh, I'm joined. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer. I'm joined by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing quite well. Thanks, Chris. All right, Kartik. So let's dive right in. We're going to go right into segment one, which is what we've been watching. And I thought uh, I'd have you uh, kick that off. Yeah, I had kind of an abbreviated weekend in terms of uh, watching football because I was actually calling a match uh, for Fox Soccer Plus, uh, the English language feed for the uh, Vasco da Gama Barcelona of Ecuador friendly or actually a Florida Cup match. I know my broadcast partner, Ryan Sudal, and myself kept referring to it as friendly uh, during the broadcast. But it's actually part of a of a cup competition, kind of a, a glorified friendly cup competition here in the state of Florida, where we get teams from uh, South America and teams from the Bundesliga every year. And uh, uh, the the portion of the uh, competition with Bundesliga teams is over, and Wolfsburg won that. And then this is the portion of the competition with uh, some uh, South American and Brazilian teams uh, that are that are competing. So I was doing that. So Saturday. I got to watch a full day of football. Um, Bundesliga is not that. Uh, so I saw Spurs West Brom first thing in the morning. Uh, that was a, uh, a scary good performance by Spurs, considering how well West Brom tends to defend. Although this, this is something that I think we, we've hit on in the predecessor show of this on World Soccer Talk, is that uh, oftentimes when Tony Pulis' teams give up a first goal away from home against one of the big sides. They give up a second and a third, and in this case, a fourth. So uh, that was interesting. The Saturday 3 p.m. kickoffs were um, nothing too uh, exciting there. I was uh, wanting to see Swansea, Chris, and and you'll touch on this. That that was uh, an embarrassing performance. And then Leicester-Chelsea was uh, one-way traffic, and and, uh, Chelsea so far so good without Diego Costa. Um, Everton City on Sunday I watched and then had to go do my Florida Cup broadcast uh, I had to report three hours early for that, so or two and a half hours early. And we had a full 20-minute pregame show and all of this uh, uh, stuff that I'm not accustomed to doing with local broadcasts. It was kind of neat, though. 
uh, to do a national broadcast like that. And uh, so came back and saw Match of the Day 2. I still have Goal Zone on tape, but Match of the Day 2, which was very interesting because what I've been frustrated about at times, and we've talked about this in previous shows, is that NBC tends to use the same bits from Goal Zone that they do for Match of the Day. Now, in this Match of the Day 2, with the only the two matches, the two Merseyside versus Manchester matches to break down, they had original... Uh, um, analysis in the match of the day on the match of the day set with the two Robbies and then um, some very good uh, I, and I assume this was on Goal Zone as well uh, interviews that Arlo White uh, uh, Danny Higginbotham and, and Lee did, or excuse me uh, Graham Lasso did with um, Jurgen Klopp and Zlatan and those were and, and Henrik Mkhitaryan and those were outstanding <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it, it's pretty um you get the personalities, right? I mean, it's Liverpool, Manchester United. That's one one part of it. But you get the personality. Mkhitaryan is interesting because I've, I've watched him on uh, uh, on Fubo TV. They have uh, Borussia Dortmund television, and they have all of the um, the features that come with that. So I've actually gotten to know Mkhitaryan the last few years from just watching him on Fubo and like his personality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a, he's an interesting guy. And then when you have Zlatan and Klopp, you have larger-than-life figures giving you these pitch side interviews and Klopp of course had been really heated at the end of that match and had gone after Mourinho after uh, Firmino was taken down because uh, Vinaldum was in space and would have been one-on-one on De Gea uh, so it was a smart tactical foul by Andre Herrera if you if you want to be uh, uh, perfectly cynical and, and objective about it but um, this is this is where the pitch side studio comes in is that when you have these larger than life um colorful figures in English football and you're able to get them out to speak to you in the heat of the moment or right after the heat of the moment. And I, and yeah. I thought it was just brilliant television, uh, both those interviews. Yeah, yeah, the Pitch Science Studio was fantastic. I mean, and that was one of the things we've, we've talked about in, in previous episodes where we've kind of... Uh, wish there were more of these but again some of it is probably access some of it is just in terms of talent in terms of availability and I mean there's a lot probably a lot of logistics to make these things happen but to me actually I I miss the post-match interviews with uh, Zlatan Mkhitaryan and uh, Klopp so I I need to go back and and watch those but even the pre-match I mean to me it was wonderful seeing Arlo White there with Graeme Lasso and Danny Higginbotham I mean having Wayne Rooney kind of uh, knocked the ball around right in front of you. Uh, Rooney catching the ball, almost hitting uh, Graham Lasso's head. But it just brings you right into, oh, into oh, the I action. Should, I, I should uh, mention for my Florida Cup broadcast on Fox Soccer Plus, they had us pitch side. Okay. I have never called a game pitch side before. We, I've always been in a, in a tower or in a press box when I've done games. And it is completely different mm-hmm. to call a game and observe a game from that. And I, and I felt like... Uh, I was able to give a lot, uh, maybe it wasn't better analysis, but as that game wore on, and for those of you who do want to watch my commentary, you can find it on the Fox Soccer to Go app still, I'm sure. Um, Being pitch side is just completely different. And it's not something that I, because I've obviously been pitch side as a public relations officer, a communications officer, but I've never... um, done a broadcast from there or tried to analyze from there. And even when we were doing our pregame during the, the during the team, uh, team warmups, it's, um, it gives you a completely different perspective. And, and so you mentioning Rooney <laughs> kicking the ball around right behind the pitch side studio. Uh-huh. It is different. It's different than being in a, in a broadcast location. Um, yep. however many rows up. 
which, which you know, Kartik, you and I know that being in this kind of uh, press box or kind of gantries, basically, it's very sterile. It's very, it takes you, really takes you away from the pitch. And for the viewer, I mean, to have the pitch science studio, it, it sucks you right in. It sucks you right into, into the stadium. You know, I mean, it gives you a completely different perspective. Um, and then the talent's a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more, you mean, probably saying some things that maybe uh, they usually wouldn't say, but, um, or pointing out observations that they probably wouldn't normally make. But, uh, yeah, for the viewer, it was fantastic, and I, I really uh, applaud NBC for doing that. Uh, we haven't really seen a lot of that. I mean, I know the Bundesliga has done that in the past. Um, they like to have pitch science studios uh, in the UK from time to time. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time. But really, in the US, as far as I know, Kartik, it's kind of a new uh, phenomenon in terms of having kind of pitch science studios. And it really does make a difference. And I'd love to see NBC continue to do that, which I'm sure they will. But I'd like to see Fox do that too. I mean, I'd like to see some of uh, maybe some of the Major League Soccer broadcasts too, uh, that type of uh, technique. Yeah, I, I think that there's always, um, there's always logistical issues at. Uh, at facilities, right, as to what prevents it from happening. But yeah. it's, uh, it, it, it it's gives you a whole different element into, uh, into the game. Uh, the, the question is, what, um, what, what does NBC, what is their criteria, a big question for me, um, in determining which games get this pitch side studio? Uh, Liverpool, Manchester United is a natural, right, mm-hmm. obviously. But, again, I, I was a little surprised during the, the uh, holiday period, during the festive period, that Chelsea Spurs didn't get one, even though they did have the benefit of Neil Ashton being there, I think, with his, uh, his, his normal uh, newspaper beat. That's probably why he was at the stadium at White Hart Lane that day. But uh, Liverpool, uh, Man City didn't get one. They did give one to Man City Arsenal. So it seems a flip of the coin in some cases, which games get it and which games don't. Yeah, and hopefully, too, NBC will continue doing kind of their um, going to England, taking the talent, the whole production team, and taking them to England to do the broadcast there. Because like we saw what, a couple of years ago was Burnley. And I think that was the first one that they ever did where they went um, to, to Burnley and had the pitch site studio there. Uh, I think it was Burnley against Arsenal or some, something like that. But it's, it does, it's fantastic watching. And, and as a soccer fan, uh, it just, it's incredible to watch. I, I think I just really love it. Um, in terms of some of the, the, the action I watched this past weekend, um, one thing that's been really uh, impressing me, Kartik, from a football playing level is uh, Leeds United. And I've had a chance to kind of watch them now for the um, last two or three games. Does that surprise you? I, I it mean, does. Look, I mean, well, they've got they've got the ma- a manager you're familiar with. Oh gosh, <laughs> we're going to go into that. Well, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of respect for Gary Monk, and he's done a brilliant job. I, I'm talking about more about the institution of Leeds United in terms of just you mean the uh, change in ownership and just all the background uh, backroom kind of uh, well, uh, kind of off the pitch uh, drama in the last few years. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I haven't watched a lot of Leeds United, but when I have watched them, uh, so far this season, I've been really impressed. I've been really well organized, uh, have some really, uh, up and coming players. Um, it's, it's a great team ethic. And I, and I think, uh, they're definitely playoff contenders and, uh, could make a run and could make it back into the Premier League next season. I'd love to see that, but, uh, yeah, I have been impressed. And then, Kartik, um, in terms of some of the other things that I've been watching... Uh, actually, the other thing, about too, about the Man United against Liverpool match, too, is the, the first use of a spider cam. And we've seen this before um, in other broadcasts, in other competitions. 
uh, probably the World Cup probably comes to mind in terms of one example. But uh, what did you think in terms of the spider cam uh, during the match, uh, uh, good or bad? I, um, I guess it just enhanced another, it added another feature, another angle uh, to, um, to the, the coverage. I mean, it wasn't, um, uh, it, it was noticeable if you were looking for it, but I think it just kind of uh, complemented what they already had um, in, in terms of, of their coverage of this match. Me too, me too, because I, I thought it was one of those things, it wasn't excessive. So in previous years, well, going way back, uh, David Beckham's first game for LA Galaxy um, in MLS, and that was one where they had a Beckham cam, and, it, and at times it made me dizzy, just because just the way, the, the amount of times they were using it, and kind of all the different camera, cameras, uh, angles, it was just yeah, too much. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think that, that that's, a, uh, that's a thing for from American football where you keep an eye on a wide receiver or some sort of uh, guy and there's stoppages um, in football and in, in, in soccer football, I would love to see if they're ever going to do that individual player cam again, it'd be someone like Ingolo Conte who covers so much ground and, yeah. um, and, 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 and is so effective in the middle of the park. Uh, of course they never will for a player like that. I mean, uh, it's got, it's going to be for some glamorous, uh, um, player uh, up front that does less running or, or a, wing, a winger. So um, I think it's a pr- pretty much useless unless you use it on a player like Conte or, or uh, some sort of central midfielder that's covering a lot of ground. Although NBC does have that tactical cam that they have, uh, that they use not every game, but uh, many uh, Premier League games. And you just go to NBCSports.com and uh, you can see it there usually. Uh, actually, it's nbcsports.com slash live. And I, th- I think it's probably on the uh, NBC Sports app too. Um, that, that would, that's not going to give you a player-specific uh, kind of a view, but you, you can see tactically the whole pitch and see kind of uh, Nicola Kante in terms of one example, how he's lining up and his positioning, et cetera. But um, actually, yeah, so Spider-Cam, thumbs up from me on that one. In terms of some of the other things I've been seeing, um, uh, Africa Cup of Nations is something I've been watching pretty closely this past week and uh, kicked off last weekend. Uh, I love the format of it. It's uh, pretty much uh, two games a day uh, for me uh, working in my office. you got an 11 o'clock game, Eastern time, and, and a 2 o'clock game. Um, so it's entertaining to watch in terms of having some, some great football on uh, during the daytime. But the other thing, too, is that the, uh, the atmosphere at the stadiums has been great. It's uh, they haven't been except for uh, the uh, Gabon games. It hasn't been like large packed stadiums. There's been a lot of empty seats, um, but the atmosphere inside the stadiums has been really, really entertaining. Uh, if anyone's watched the games, or if you haven't watched the games, I definitely uh, encourage you to do it. Um, from part of it is from the crowd point of view in terms of the supporters. This is just some wild costumes, uh, face paints. Crazy fans. I mean, just really kind of these fans extremely, extremely passionate about football and about their country and are cheering them on. So from that, the crowd shots are really entertaining to watch. Uh, the football has been good. It hasn't been brilliant. Uh, the games have been pretty much a lot of draws and low-scoring games. Uh, so it's been closely fought matches, uh, a couple of upsets here and there. But the level of football has been good. Lots of skill on display. Uh, pretty much uh, more open matches than what we're typical to see in, on, on club football. And uh, anyone who watches uh, 
European football or football from around the world, you'll notice tons and tons of stars uh, from clubs from all the way around the world playing in almost every single match for every single team. I mean, it's just, it just gives you a, a great example of how much talent there is, African talent there is throughout the world playing for some of the top teams um, at all levels throughout the world in, in watching this. But so far, for me at least, Kartik, uh, for the Africa Cup of Nations, it's, it's a thumbs up. Uh, all the games are, have been on BN Sports or BN Sports Connect. And uh, if you don't get Connect, you can always get it through through Fubo. But uh, I've enjoyed it. A um, couple of the matches so far, the commentary was uh, from uh, Mario Bonetti and uh, Andres Cordero. But uh, most of the matches have been from, it sounds like a South African uh, commentator. And probably some of our listeners probably know his name. I'm, I'm not sure who it is. But uh, it's, been, it's been good. It's been get entertaining. And then Kartik, uh, last but not least, uh, FA Cup. So I, I watched a couple of the FA Cup uh, replays. Uh, we had the Lincoln City against Ipswich Town match earlier this week. And uh, great game and uh, an upset. I mean, it was a beautiful goal, um, I think, by Arnold. I think it was for, for Lincoln City. And uh, they deserved to go through. A couple of interesting things from a TV watching perspective was that uh, halftime they had a, a camera in uh, Lincoln, Lincoln City's um, dressing room. So you can actually look in and see kind of the players getting ready and the manager kind of you know, barking at the, the players. You always like to see that, so kind of that fly-on-the-wall perspective. And um, also the other thing, too, that was interesting was that um, just the crowd reaction. So you could obviously tell that Lincoln doesn't get a lot of games on television, especially a lot of live games, uh, especially beamed around the world. And just whenever the camera kind of panned across the crowd... Uh, you just <laughs> had some interesting kind of reactions from that and some uh, some great characters um, from that. And then last but not least, Kartik, the very final game I watched uh, this week so far was uh, Plymouth Argyle against Liverpool. And it was uh, Plymouth had chances to actually uh, get equalizers in this game. Liverpool scored a pretty early game, uh, early goal. Um, but it was an entertaining match, uh, great atmosphere. Uh, the Plymouth fans, you could tell, were into it and uh, cheered from beginning to end. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later in terms of why this match was a little bit uh, special uh, for TV viewers. But overall, I enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to FA Cup fourth round that's coming in um, just over a week from now. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to segment two, which is our latest TV slash streaming news and I'll kick this off, Kartik, by saying that, uh, reporting that El Nuevo Herald, which is the Spanish-language version of the Miami Herald, uh, and actually the story is written by someone we know, uh, Kevan, uh, he's reporting that Barcelona will play Real Madrid in Miami this summer as part of the International Champions Cup. It'll be the first time that uh, El Clasico has ever been played outside of Spain. And you can imagine, Kartik, uh, with this one, it's going to be a ratings bonanza for television, not just in the U.S., but worldwide. It's going to be a, a massive match if it does happen. It hasn't been officially confirmed yet, but the reports are pointing that this is going to happen at the uh, Hard Rock Stadium. In the U.S., uh, ESPN has the rights. They picked those up last year, and they have them for a couple more years. So if this does happen, Kartik, this is going to be monster TV ratings, I imagine. Yeah, they, they picked them up for a song, basically. I mean, there was... Uh, um there, there, there was a, um, a decline in the rights fee, remember, that they paid uh, compared to what Fox uh, 
what what uh, the International Champions Cup had wanted from Fox and, and potentially from NBC. So uh, they got a cheap property. I'll admit I didn't watch any of it last year. I was burnt out after the Euros, knowing that European seasons were about to start. I was in the middle of a political campaign as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing ESPN's coverage of this uh, next year, particularly considering they have been adding broadcast talent. And I guess we'll, uh, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Yeah, definitely. And uh, what's the next news item, Kartik, we've got? Well, I've got uh, Hercules Gomez joining. Uh, sorry, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I got, I got ahead of myself uh, again with the ESPN thing. Uh, according to Bloomberg, um, Fox has expressed uh, interest in buying rights to a new Pan American tournament, uh, which could happen as early as 2020. And this is this just exploded on social media when uh, this article came out from Bloomberg on today's Thursday. So it came out a Tuesday morning. Uh, the Gold Cup would be every four years uh, to accommodate the new tournament, and there would be um, some sort of uh, reformulation, perhaps, potentially, of when Copa Americas took place. Although, um, as of now, 2019, 2023, uh, 2027, is, is, is scheduled for Copa Americas. Um, this is coming off of the success of the Copa America Centenario. Uh, it, it's, um, it, it would be a very, very interesting tournament. Um, again, I think... Um, I've got a concern about the number of international tournaments going on and uh, the uh, proliferation of international football and how it affects club football and how it affects the actual soul and heart of, of, the, of the sport, which is um, club football. But um, international football seems to drive TV audiences. It seems to be driving um, casual interest in the sport and FIFA and uh, its associated confederations make a lot of money off of these tournaments. So, uh, I think we're going to continue to see this. We're getting a 48-team World Cup. We're getting uh, a European Nations Cup, which, by the way, will be on ESPN. I know we've talked about that before, starting uh, starting after 2018. We might get this new Pan American tournament, which potentially would be on Fox here in the United States. Uh, we're getting all of these new events. Uh, we're getting a, a Euro Championship in 2020 that will be sprawling across the continent, uh, all the way from Azerbaijan to, uh, to Wembley. So... Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's exciting. It gives us something to do over the summers, but there, at some point, it's going to impact the club, the club sport um, and, and the club game, which is the core of this sport globally. So um, I'm watching with a little bit of concern, I have to admit. Yeah, and this tournament, to me, it's, it sounds like Copa America Centenario, but not with the Copa America name. Uh, but with it being Pan American, hopefully then the Caribbean countries and kind of the Central American countries uh, can also uh, compete too. So um, really, I mean, this is, uh, I mean, a cash cow. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Conmebol and CONCACAF are looking at this as, as an opportunity to say, okay, let's just do Gold Cup every four years instead of every two years. And U.S., Mexico, you guys can make a lot more money from having kind of this Pan, Pan American tournament instead. Uh, and playing against higher level competition, so I don't know. That's the thing, though, too. I, I, in terms of um, international football, we know that. I mean, to me, I, I'm also a club soccer fan too. But international football, I respect and enjoy at times. But international football on a, on a national level, especially in competitions, is usually where you get the massive TV ratings, and a lot of that's wrapped up in kind of patriotism and pride of your country, kind of supporting your country. Uh, and that does sweep sweep nations, especially if it's a tournament where it's you know United States is playing Mexico or whoever they're playing Brazil. Um, so it can get passionate and it can uh, equal big TV ratings, which can equal 
sponsorships, television, money. So, so Kartik, the next news item is that uh, Fox Sports this week, um, Wednesday, announced the hiring of Kate Abdo. And we talked about this uh, on last week's episode, actually. Um, and we broke the news uh, a week ago that Kate was going to be joining uh, Fox Sports. It wasn't made official until, um, until yesterday. Her first broadcast was on the um, Plymouth-Liverpool game. And uh, she looked good. She looked... Uh, she, anyway, she thought provoking, and uh, hopefully it's going to raise the bar in terms of um, maybe the Warren Bartons of the world kind of helping, you know, trying to pull them up a bit in terms of uh, having some more intelligent conversations or just trying to get them more involved. Um, but um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. And she's going to be in charge of not just the Bundesliga hosting that. Um, she's also going to be doing the FA Cup, uh, Europa League, uh, Confederations Cup, and the World Cup. So where that leaves Rob Stone is Rob Stone's going to be uh, hosting the Champions League. And uh, we'll have to see what happens to Rob Stone in terms of whether he's going to be doing more college football and some other uh, traditional American sports. And MLS. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true, Kartik. Yeah, so MLS. So maybe, I mean, I, and then actually that probably gives him a full card right there in terms of Champions League, MLS, and then, you I mean, whatever his... American traditional American pastimes are in terms of the oh, and, he'll, and he'll be part of the World Cup and Confederations Cup coverage. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, so he's going to be sharing those duties. I'm sure with uh, Kate Abdo. Um, what was interesting in the press release too is that they didn't mention Ian Joy at all, which I thought was kind of strange. They did mention Rob Stone. Yeah, so as I teased a little earlier and, and got ahead of myself, uh, Hercules Gomez uh, just retired from the Seattle Sounders. Just retired from professional football and. Uh, has joined the uh, ESPN team as a soccer studio analyst. They hired uh, Julie Stewart-Binks, uh, who's one of my favorite sideline reporters. Uh, I think could do more than be just a sideline reporter, and I, I think she might do more at ESPN. They hired her away from Fox right after MLS Cup last month, uh, which, by the way, Hercules Gomez's team, uh, the Seattle Sounders, won, or won on penalty kicks. So uh, that's two, uh, and Gomez worked uh, during the MLS break, um, international breaks for Fox on international duty, Copa America, other national team-related uh, games during uh, international breaks when he wasn't playing for Seattle this past season. So that's two Fox uh, personalities that have been hired by ESPN uh, in the last uh, two months. Now, ESPN doesn't have many soccer properties left, but between uh, ESPN FC, which this week uh, has been on location with Max Bredos and um, Shaka Hislop, uh, and Ali Moreno in Los Angeles for MLS Media Days, and um, between the, and that, and then of course their their normal daily studio show with Dan Thomas or Alexis Nunez uh, hosting Paul Mariner, Steve Nichol, Craig Burley, Shaka Hislop, Gab Marcotti, uh, Stuart Robson, whoever else, um, yeah, Brian McBride also. They have a healthy rotation of studio people coming through. Uh, obviously, they've got MLS, they've got uh, European some European qualifiers, and they of course. We'll have the European Nations Cup uh, starting after the 2018 World Cup. Oh, and of course, uh, also the International Champions Cup, which we talked about. So I guess there is enough for all of these uh, these people. And we're going to get into um, the MLS schedule and our topic of the week, TV schedule. And, and, and uh, we'll get into a little bit of uh, the enhanced coverage, or, or I shouldn't say enhanced, but increased coverage might be enhanced with all these higher things that ESPN and Fox are going to have this, this season. I'm surprised, though, that Fox let Hercules Gomez go, uh, just because I, th- I thought he did a great job during Copa America. 
he was really kind of like the straight talker. He was the one that made the most sense when you had, you know, Fernando Fiore kind of with his comedy act, and he had Alexi Lalas with kind of maybe that's why p- pounding the table, and then he had <laughs> this guy who was very intelligent, good, well, uh, good conversationalist, uh, good sp- speaker. But that fits uh, the ESPN culture and the ESPN presentation method better than it does Fox. So mm-hmm. I think he's a pretty natural fit at ESPN. Whereas at Fox, he seemed to fish out of water while there was all this other these theatrics going on around him, which is why I wouldn't be shocked if, uh, if Landon Donovan retires from football and, and doesn't uh, take some of the offers we, we've heard associated with him in the last few weeks and, and goes back into broadcasting. I, I'm thinking he might end up at ESPN also. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially well, maybe Fox though too. I mean, you've got. I mean, he, he's got to look at the World Cup and probably well, think. Well, of course, he he lives in Los Angeles, so right. I mean, that's also part of it. Uh, but Hercules Gomez is from the West Coast. He's uh, born and grew up in, in Las Vegas, and uh, I guess he's going to have to make the trek to Connecticut for for ESPN duty. But at a certain point, you have to go where you where you fit. And uh, mm-hmm. we found in the case of Brian McBride, we've had this conversation before on the show that uh, I thought he was uh, terrible at Fox, yeah. and uh, he's turned into. Uh, uh, a, a gem at ESPN. I mean, it's just who you surround yourself with and, 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 and the style. And uh, the same can be said for Kyle Martino, who I rank as the, the best uh, uh, analyst based in the United States, other than Craig Burley, best uh, studio analyst. Uh, when he was at Fox, he was a disaster. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's the culture that, that, that you're around. And uh, now looking back, I mean, I, I can't imagine uh, um, how Martino was did such a poor job at Fox, but it was I think it was the culture of the network because he's right. been he's been consistently good at NBC since he got there, starting with MLS and then uh, the Premier League the last four seasons. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, I think it's the the Fox culture, but um, maybe that'll change with people like Kate Abdo coming in. And, and I think uh, um, there's a, a seriousness to the match commentary that John Strong gives that they didn't have necessarily have before. So, um, and JP uh, doing more stuff on Fox too helps there that um, it's the studio with Fox that still really annoys me. Yeah. Yeah. Kate Abdo definitely raises the bar considerably for Fox. Um, Warren Barton, it, it, this is like kind of a snafu, one of those things that you kind of say, and then you kind of, you probably, you probably didn't even realize he made the mistake yesterday, but for the Plymouth against um Liverpool match post match, which was interesting actually, was that they went right into um, doing a weekend preview for the Bundesliga, which makes sense. I mean, they have the rights to the Bundesliga. Uh, Kate Abdo is a big fan of uh, German soccer, and then you've got Warren Barton, who probably doesn't follow the Bundesliga that much or that closely. And he had Stu Holden, and Stu Holden does a great job. But Warren Barton was talking about how in two thousand and six, uh, Christian Pulisic had a great year. And of course, he meant 2016. But it's like those on-air flubs that just make him look very amateurish. And um, so, hopefully, Kate will raise the bar, and hopefully, those underneath her will do the same thing too. Okay, Kartik, let's move on to the next segment, and that's TV ratings. Uh, not a lot to talk about this week. Um, we're still waiting on, on a couple of numbers, but uh, the big news coming out of uh, the United States this week is that Univision Deportes the Spanish-language channel, has scored the most viewed Liga MX match ever in a Saturday night time slot, and that time slot is uh, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock Eastern time. And uh, the number was 1.5 million people that watched the match, uh, and it was Monterrey against uh, Guadalajara, and um, big numbers, and and I think that game was on uh, Univision and Univision Deportes, but still, that's big numbers for the return of Liga MX uh, we're now into what the uh, Clausura 
uh, part of the season, second half of the season. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I have uh, that match on my DVR and still have not watched it. So that's why I can <laughs> get into it. Monterey, to me, is one of the best teams to watch in, in the Americas. I mean, they, I, I love the way they play football. Uh, Chivas is always going to drive numbers. Uh, I believe that that was the highest ever. Oh, yeah, for Saturday night, 8 to 10. Correct. Correct. Um, and uh, we also have, um, Chris, the uh, 881,000 for Man United, Liverpool on NBCSN in the 11 a.m. Eastern to 1 p.m. Eastern time slot on NBCSN. Now, the second half of this game was also shown on NBC, um, which was um, a little odd, I must admit, but they showed the second half of the game on over-the-air NBC, and I'm sure that will spike the num- number up considerably. Uh, we don't have those numbers yet. Yeah, yeah, it makes you wonder how many, how much it'll spike it by. So could we reach 1.5 million? I, I would think so, right? I mean, it's, it's going to be a big number... Um, we'll have it today, I'm sure, uh, at World Soccer. But, but it was a lead-in. But it was a lead lead-in to a hockey game, not a lead-in yeah. to an NFL game. So it may not. That's true. Um, but you're gonna have some people that will tune in that will kind of just uh, they didn't know that the Pittsburgh Steelers game had been moved. You right. mean, maybe they just tuned in. But the other thing too, well, I guess this doesn't count. But I was gonna say like bars and and restaurants and things like that will have it on the background. But that's not gonna count in the viewership numbers. But still. Yeah, it's, it still should be pretty big, just because with it being on, on uh, a broadcast network. So, uh, yeah, as soon as we get that, those numbers, we'll, we'll go ahead and report those on uh, worldsoccertalk.com, uh, hopefully later today when you're hearing this podcast. And in contact, Nick, moving on to our next segment, and that's uh, listener mailbag. Uh, we've got uh, one question this week, and this is from uh, Caleb Napton, and he sent this in through Twitter. And he says, is NB- NBCSN ever going to use those two bonus channels on Sling TV. They've had no programming as far as I can tell. And that's a great question, Caleb. Uh, I do not have the answer to that. I've reached out to Sling TV, and uh, actually Sling TV replied to, uh, I think, our comment on uh, on Twitter, or a tweet on Twitter, and said that they were going to look into it. So uh, as of right now, there's no answer on that one. I, I know that uh, NBC, well, Sling TV added these two bonus channels probably about a month ago now, maybe even a month and a half ago, and uh, once they were added, we thought, okay, great, fantastic. All those uh, matches that are usually on Premier League Extra Time, we can now watch on Sling TV on those two bonus channels. But for whatever reason, they haven't used them yet. So um, as soon as we get that information, we'll be sure to, uh, to share it with you. And uh, Kartik, uh, if any listeners uh, out there have any questions about, uh, about anything we've talked about on this podcast or about uh, watching soccer in general and uh, on TV or on apps, where can they uh, send their questions to? Well, they can uh, they can tweet at us at uh, 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 com, and then they can also tweet at me at KKFLA737. Uh, they can write to us at web at worldsoccertalk.com, and they can leave a comment on uh, our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash worldsoccertalk. So, again, the Twitter handle is at WSoccertalk, not at worldsoccertalk at WSoccerTalk. So multiple ways to, to reach us. Perfect. Awesome. And then going on to our last uh, segment of the show, which is our featured topic of the week. Uh, this week, Kartik, I thought we'd tackle something that's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it came out last week or after last week's show. Uh, it's a big topic, though. It's a meaty topic because it's going to last throughout the whole of 2017. And that is the MLS TV schedule. And uh, you've had a chance to kind of go through this and take a look at it. Uh, what are your thoughts, kind of um, positives and negatives, in terms of what you've seen thus far, in terms of what uh, 
they've announced with uh, ESPN, Univision, and uh, Fox Sports uh, showing the games. Well, there's a lot. I took a lot of time going over the uh, scheduled release and giving some of my observations. So let's uh, let's go through them, and we'd love to hear feedback from our listeners about this. Uh, there are going to be four afternoon Fox Network games, including the projected opening of Atlanta United Stadium against Orlando City on July 30th. That's going to be a huge game. I plan to be there, actually. I plan to be in the building that day, uh, and I'm working on getting myself credentialed for that match. Now, if it ends up being at Bobby Dodd Stadium and there's a stadium delay, then that's going to be a disaster. But as of now, uh, although, I mean, I don't know that it will affect the TV rating, but that's the plan is that to be the grand opening of Atlanta United's new stadium. It's just sharing with the Atlanta Falcons, of course. Um, there is a sprinkling of Friday and Saturday ESPN games, which I find very interesting because when this this television contract began in 2015, the idea was to consistently have uh, games uh, in a Sunday evening time slot, uh, generally 5 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, sometimes 4 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Uh, that was uh, consistently um, uh, done week in and week out, so MLS fans knew where to find games. Um, now we have a, um, a number of Saturday, Friday and Saturday ESPN games. We have an increase in ESPN telecasts this year, but uh, that seems to be a reversal of intent. And uh, one of the complaints in the previous television contract, uh, or the previous television contracts, I should say, that MLS was working under was that uh, games were on at random times on uh, random nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is and my now, yeah. This is a reversal. This yeah, some of that. And this is my biggest takeaway from from the the whole TV schedule is that uh, it's changing. And in previous years, like you said, Kartik, there's been a cons- well, actually, actually last season especially a consistent TV uh, uh, watching window. So you could kind of basically close your eyes and know that okay, on Friday nights you could tune in and watch a game on uh, Unamas, um, and then on Saturday most of the games are going to be on your local um, TV networks. Uh, from time to time, there might be a game on one of the major net- networks um, in the U.S. But Sunday was one of those days you can say, okay, all right, Sunday afternoon, I can tune into ESPN. I know there's going to be a Major League Soccer game on. And then Sunday night, I know there's going to be a game on FS1, maybe two games sometimes. Uh, for this season, for 2017, that changes everything. Uh, most of the Univision, well, Unamas games are going to be on Saturdays, Saturday afternoons, 4-ish, 5-ish, uh, Eastern time. Uh, like you said, Kartik, ESPN is picking up a bunch of games, showing Friday night games, some Saturday afternoon games, uh, even some, there's some Unamas games, I think, on Sundays too. But F- FS1, uh, Fox Sports, is pretty much the only one that's really sticking to kind of their format of having those Sunday night um, primetime games. But everything else has changed. So from an MLS perspective, I- I'm sure they're hoping and banking on uh, soccer fans um, changing the habits a little bit and, and kind of doing a little bit more, you know, it could be 10 minutes of research to find out when your, your team's on or when the big games are on. Uh, but in, unfortunately, people are lazy. People kind of you mean, get used to kind of having those consistent time windows. And I think it's going to have an Im- impact on, on kind of the TV viewing experience uh, a little bit in 2017. And MLS is then probably hoping, especially ESPN, is hoping that, okay, well, moving these these games to these different nights, uh, and ESPN is the one that's moving the most. Hopefully, I'm sure ESPN is hoping that they can get some bigger TV view numbers for some games that uh, maybe they're thinking that that Sunday afternoon wasn't the best time, and maybe you know, Fridays, let's try that, and let's try Saturdays and see what happens. But uh, 
yeah, it's going to be interesting. But it's a big change for MLS uh, viewers. And um, the big, the big uh, kind of uh, challenge, I think, for MLS is getting the word out there, letting people know, and uh, let's see how people react uh, from that. Yeah, I, I think that there's a, to me, there's a, a, a kind of change in intent. Uh, maybe there's a dissatisfaction with the television ratings, uh, which uh, we've articulated. Now, uh, there's been a lot of pushback on that, but I think internally they take a very different posture than they do publicly. And uh, this, is, this is interesting. Maybe they can uh, um, dovetail on some Liga MX games on Saturday and Sunday on, on the Univision networks. Now, I have to point out on Fridays, there were often times where they would have to preempt the first half of Liga MX games because they had an MLS game contractually they had to show. And um, there would, I, they would keep a, a split screen, and I think that there was uh, probably dissatisfaction with that among a lot of their, their viewers because, let's face it, the Liga MX game is going to get more viewers, more better ratings, uh, with very few exceptions. Uh, so that, that was probably part of the consideration. I, I think the team breakdown is interesting, too, because I, I think MLS has tried to be this... Um... Eckhart, Eckhart, one more thing just on, on that, just before you go on to the teams. I, my take is is that I think MLS probably was pleasantly surprised by how well the Univision numbers did, and Univision probably came back and said, you know what, we've been doing the Friday night games, they've been working uh, really well for us, we probably better than we thought, that's... Give us some more Saturday games. Give us some more Sunday games. Let, let's mix it up because we think that we can increase this. And then I think ESPN, on the other hand, would probably say, like, hey, we've been putting these games on our main ESPN channel on Sunday afternoons, and we've kind of piggybacked with kind of Fox, having Fox have the second games. We've been disappointed by these numbers. We, we, we don't think that uh, these numbers are, are, are that great. Uh, give us some Friday night games. Or give us some Saturday games. Let's, let's test those, those time slots and see if we can get some better, better numbers for those time slots. At least that's my take on it in terms of kind of the changes and kind of reading between the lines. But, but, but sorry to, to interrupt. Uh, no, no, no. I think that that's, those are some good points because I think uh, the ratings have not, not been good enough. I mean, let's face it. I mean, there's been pushback when you and I say that, but ratings have not been good enough. And trust me, I, I know enough people who work with MLS well enough to think that internally they, they understand this. They just externally are going to give a, a whole different um, uh, picture of things. So mm -hmm. that's, that, that's my sense. Um, now, I, continuing on that theme, to me, it's interesting because MLS has always tried to be this all things to all people. We sell our parity. We sell... Um, our competitiveness, we sell the fact that anybody can win a title. Well, I have to tell you, their, um, their, their schedule um, in terms of uh, teams being featured and not featured, at least on the English language side of the, their broadcast, and in, 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 you, in some cases in the Spanish language side too, um, reflect uh, a, uh, a, a, the same sort of kind of pragmatism or... Um, elitism, if you want to call it, that the, that the networks for national uh, games in your major European leagues have to exercise, where you see more Manchester United and Liverpool and uh, uh, Chelsea, Spurs, uh, Arsenal, Man City games on um, the, the national uh, and international uh, important time slots from the Premier League than you do the rest of the Premier League. You, you see them in the 7.45 a.m. Eastern time, which is 12.45 a.m. Uh, p.m. kickoff in the U.S., and then the 12.30 uh, Eastern time, 5.30, and then the Monday night football, or the 11 a.m. Su Sunday. You see those teams featured in those time slots. 
Now what we're seeing, and, and this is important for American fans that follow the Premier League to understand that those, those um, 3 p.m., 10 a.m. kickoffs in this country uh, are not shown in the U.K. They're not on national television in that country. They're not on TV at all. So um, you have a skewing. You don't necessarily get this impression in the U.S., but you have a skewing if you look at the time slots in the Premier League, who's playing on national television, who's playing on international television. Uh, same thing with the Bundesliga. Um, there's a skewing of that in the Bundesliga, and, and there's a little more equitability there. But uh, And Spain, same thing. And, and Italy, same thing. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, these teams are featured in, in the important time slots. Um, the uh, Sunday afternoon game in Italy is uh, all, almost always, it seems, featuring Juventus, or uh, Milan, one of the Milan sides, or Roma or Lazio, um, uh, teams with big followings, and Fiorentino also, uh, Fiorentino and Napoli to a lesser extent. So here's what's happened in MLS. There are uh, 13 English-language broadcasts between Fox, uh, Fox, FS1, and ESPN for Seattle and Portland each. Um, these MLS teams play 34 regular season games, so that's well over a third of those two games, teams' games are on uh, national TV. I applaud that because I have long said MLS should be featuring those two teams more than the New York and L.A. teams. By comparison, FC Dallas, who won last year's Supporters' Shield and won the U.S. Open Cup, and who knows if Mauro Diaz hadn't been hurt and Fabian Castillo had not been sold to um, club in Turkey, mm -hmm. how they would have finished up. Uh, they might have done the treble, might have been the first U.S. team to ever do the treble, ha makes uh, only two national English-language television appearances. Colorado, who had the second-best record in the league, same thing, only two national, uh, uh, national English-language appearances. Uh, Vancouver and Montreal uh, only make one. They're a Canadian team, so we get that. San Jose, Real Salt Lake, Houston, and D.C. United, oh, and Columbus, Columbus and Chicago, all make only one. So... Um, it's also based on uh, perceived strength and, um, and marketability of the teams because in Chicago, you have the third largest TV market. They're making one national television appearance. In uh, Portland, you have, uh, uh, you know, I have the, the Nielsen uh, numbers up here. So give me just a minute. In Portland, you have the 24th largest TV market in the country making 13 appearances. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Um, so that, that, that's... Uh, that, that's pretty striking to me. Orlando has 10 national TV games in English, uh -huh. um, despite having missed, never made the playoffs in their two seasons in, in MLS. That's because they've got Kaká, and they have um, the third most Spanish-language games, because, again, there's a big following for them. So they have 14 total national television games. Atlanta United, which is an expansion team, and they're a pure expansion team. Orlando um, was brought up from the lower divisions. Minnesota, which is st starting in MLS this season, and we'll get to them in a they are they've moved up from NASL from the second division. Um, Atlanta is being shown 15 times more than any other team in the league between Spanish and English television. They have Tata Martino um, as their manager, and they've got um, this developing fan base. I, I, it's a massive following by MLS standards. Yeah. Who knows if it sustains, but uh, clearly there is an effort, and, and Atlanta is one of the largest TV markets in the country. It's the ninth largest TV market. There is an effort to showcase that team. Minnesota is going to have eight English-language television appearances, um, and they're an expansion team, so compare that. They're going to have eight national television appearances on ESPN and Fox Networks, Minnesota, as a team that's just coming up from NASL and whose games were uh, 
last season were on VN Sport and on uh, CBS Sports Network at random times because that was the NASL TV package. Mm -hmm. That is compared to DC United, who's won more trophies than anyone in the history of this league, having one total appearance on English language national television. So MLS now, I guess... I, I mean, it, it depends on your perspective. If you're into parity and you're into uh, the arguments about competitiveness, uh, maybe you don't like this. But hey, Chris, maybe MLS is learning what the rest of the world has, which is that you have to you have to showcase your bigger bigger teams, yep. and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean your bigger markets. That means uh, Atlanta is going to be a massive team. Orlando and Seattle and Portland have massive followings, mm -hmm. and then the other the other teams that are featured prominently are the two New York teams. Um, New York FC and, and uh, Red Bulls, particularly New York FC. I think, I think part of it, though, is that uh, MLS is they're definitely cherry-picking, and, and, and smartly so. But I think part of it is they're looking at, okay, what stadiums can we have live matches at where the atmosphere is going to be a great spectacle and it's going to be a great representation of what Major League Soccer is all about, hoping then that people that tune in, either by accident or on purpose... Uh, will then gravitate to that league and go, hey, this is actually a great league to watch and great fan bases, passionate supporters. And, and you look at kind of Portland, Seattle, uh, Orlando, I'm sure Atlanta, uh, and kind of those kind of um, cities as cities that it's a great, great uh, representation of Major League Soccer. You look at Dallas and Colorado just as two examples. And you think, okay, well, football playing-wise, they're actually good teams. But in terms of those stadiums, the, the attendance and kind of the, the atmosphere is, to be frank, flat. I mean, lots of empty seats in Dallas as, as one example. So, um, so I think it, it's smart from MLS. Um, but then from a team-specific point of view, and I've heard this feedback too and read this feedback, is that um, some of the supporters are upset that they don't get to watch the team play that often on, uh, on national television. And... Uh, and actually, I think even last week's podcast, too, Kartik, we had a question from one of the listeners, and he was saying that uh, he, he can't watch his Houston Dynamo games that often because they're blacked out in his area, and Houston's not on national television that much. Yeah, they're on once this year. Right. Um, which, again, I, it's um, it was striking to me because it's never been this dramatic. There have always... For, for years, L.A. And, and New York Red Bulls have been on more. And then I had pushed year, a couple of years ago the narrative that Seattle and Portland should be on more. I got a lot of pushback on that, by the way. And I, I gave the argument you just gave, which is atmosphere. Okay, if you're trying to attract people who are core football fans. Okay, I know casual fans who want to be in the big media markets. Core football fans who might watch the Premier League and Liga MX but don't watch your league. How are you going to attract them? You're going to attract them by showing an L.A. game with a static atmosphere at the uh, Home Depot or the StubHub Center? Uh, I, I know L.A. reports sellouts, but their atmosphere is never that good. Uh, or are you going to attract them by showing a Portland game? Better chance you're going to attract them by showing a Portland game. And the MLS has finally gotten that. Um, the flip side of it is that that means bigger markets. Because Houston is, um, as I pull up the Nielsen again, Houston is the... Um, uh, where is it? It's uh, it's the 10th largest media market in the country. Dallas-Fort Worth, which had the best team in MLS last year that won the Supporters' Shield and won the U.S. Open Cup, uh, is the fifth largest television market in the country, yet they're only showing them twice. And it goes back to the atmosphere. I think they've gotten it as far as that's concerned. Yeah. And I guess we'll have to wait and see. If this does work from MLS's perspective, it makes sense. They're trying to increase those numbers, those view numbers, and, and it is very meaningful for the league. It's kind of the one last thing that uh, 
one biggest challenge that they have left uh, that they need to figure out a way to to, to make it work because um, that's going to lead to you mean more TV revenue down the road when the, the contracts come back up for renewal, but also from sponsorships, uh, advertisers. I mean, that's really kind of where the money is. I, mean, I think MLS is looking at that, thinking, hey, what can we do possibly to, to make this work um, to the detriment of some teams? Um, but they're, they're in it as, as a league, as a whole, to try to uh, increase MLS's exposure. So, Kartik, let, let's move on to uh, the final segment. Well, we're, we're actually in the final segment, but uh, to, to let listeners know that if they do have any feedback or questions or comments in regards to anything we've spoke to, spoken about on this podcast... Uh, including the, the TV schedules, of course, to, to definitely share their views. And uh, before we go, any last thoughts in terms of the MLS TV schedule or anything we've uh, discussed on the show today? Yeah, I, I think um, for me it's it's real interesting to see uh, this dichotomy and how it breaks down in, in, as far as the teams. And uh, if there is going to be now an effort from MLS maybe to pull away from the parity argument and, and uh, highlight what could potentially be super clubs. And uh, Orlando has a big following. I don't think they can be a super club. Los Angeles is in a big market. Maybe they could be one, the Galaxy. Uh, but really, if you're looking at potential super clubs in Major League Soccer, uh, but Orlando and Portland are selling points for the league because of their atmospheres. And then the potential to be super clubs, I think, are Seattle and Atlanta. And Atlanta's already emerging. I think there's more talk about Atlanta abroad than I, I think there's ever been about an MLS club. Um, maybe MLS is, is beginning to transition towards that line of thinking. And it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next television contract uh, and the next uh, CBA negotiation with the Players Union, because maybe they're understanding they have to elevate some of their clubs above the league uh, or above the level of the rest of the league in order to be successful in uh, the global market. All right. Well, thank you, listeners, for listening. Uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Uh, we've also added that to YouTube, too, so you can get these. You can actually listen to the podcast through YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, and, of course, worldsoccertalk.com. So don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, and to be, uh, be sure to send us your feedback or questions so we can read those out on air. And, Kartik, over to you, sir. Enjoy your football. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 